1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here. We got a great preview for you. It's going to be two parts uh, combined within this one episode. We are including the audio from our DraftKings preview show uh, that we do these YouTube videos, uh, making our picks and whatnot. A couple people have requested... That we include that audio on our uh, on our podcast feed, so we're including that here. That's what's going to start the show: our picks to win, picks not to win, how we allocate our, our now two hundred nuggets uh, that we decided to do for major championships and um, and you know top ten bets, wins, all that stuff. So if if anything doesn't make sense within that, just just go check it out on YouTube, or it may make a little more sense on YouTube. The back half of this is going to be our interview with Mark O'Meara talking about, you know, walking away from the Masters, his all the details of his wins, what the Champions Dinner's like, all kinds of really cool insight. Uh, the No Lang Up podcast is, of course, brought to you by our friends at Callaway and for Masters Week. they got a slew of content on their website and social media channels to help supplement your Masters Week experience. On their Callaway Golf Instagram, they got a giveaway where you have an opportunity to win one of the four limited edition staff bags that players will be carrying this week on callawaygolf.com Augusta. There's intel on the clubs in the bags of Rom, Xander, and Leishman. Uh, also an extensive video of Phil doing a deep dive on what's in his bag and why. I got a little snippet that I'm going to play for you here that I found particularly interesting, but Phil is, as we've documented, just a complete maniac, and his process for how he sets up his bag at Augusta is fascinating, and here's a quick insight into that.
2: Also, when they elongated the golf course, there are really no shots between 100 100- and 130. Okay. So it's kind of a hole in the course, if you will. And so there's an area there where I can get rid of a club and try to um, work around that. So I can get rid of my sandwich. Uh, I really don't ever hit a sandwich there, so. Okay.
1: All that and more at CallawayGolf.com slash Augusta. Without any further delay, let's get to the podcast. Did last week change anything for how you guys are playing speed this week? Because I was fully prepared to walk into this room and do all of my nuggets on Spieth to win until he won yesterday. I, I just want really, I, and now you don't want to do it. I'm, I'm just saying I'm not putting all my nuggets on that. We'll get to the picks later, but I was gonna walk in and I was gonna take literally six seconds to be like, all my nuggets on Spieth. You guys go ahead and hash it
2: out. I would say it makes it kind of makes the pick a little less fun. Yes, well, so that it
3: kills your value too. Yeah, yeah that's it kills what the I was value. Say
2: we, you know, there's a lot of this going around on Twitter, but on on.
4: Spieth Island is being gentrified to the gills right now. Yoga studios popping up everywhere. They don't have enough fresh water. Took the dogs for a walk this morning. I didn't even recognize my neighborhood out there. You know, I know it used Walking to kind of just everywhere. houses aren't even going on the market. No, putting... exactly. You got to know somebody. You got to write letters. You know, try, trying to sign off letters to the sellers. It's just it's horrible. Horrible. Bad real zoning market too. out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, to your to your point though, I. I don't think it changed anything it just it made it less fun. I think that's a a good way to say it. I laid a lot of, you know, not imaginary nuggies on Jordan Speed to win the Masters a few weeks ago when we were back in Illinois. So, no, my head has been we've been running <laughs> through the wall for months and months now. So, it hasn't changed anything for me. I don't know how it can be like a uh we talked about it on the pod a lot last night. I don't know how winning the Valero Texas Open it just doesn't seem like it it took a lot of uh juice from the from the balloon right he's, now he's you know still, what i mean he's like
3: still going like this energy wise I, it seems
4: like it i don't know it, it's well, a lot said. different it's a lot different than what we were saying on the pod was you know it seems a lot different than if this was you know a f- some first time winner or something that yeah this takes a bunch of energy out he's got to do a bunch of media requests he doesn't know how you know everything that comes with a win seems like jordan can just kind of like thank you for the check i'm I'm very appreciative to the valero texas Thank you for the boots. That's very cool. I will now be on my way. Nobody call me or talk to me. Yeah. You went
3: back and talked about 2015. He won the John Deere, then he went over to St. Andrews and finished one shot out of a playoff.
1: It did feel very, and nothing that he did at Valero felt like smoke and mirrors in any way. And in fact, it was, you know, he had all these really good finishes leading up, you know, in many events coming up to this past week and hadn't finished it off. But the big question mark was the driver. And the driver had not been there. He was carrying his own dead body behind him on his back with the, with the driver because he couldn't get a play off the team he was still hitting miraculous shots and putting his ass off now the driver is like pretty reliable little cut shot and he spoke about you know how he's had that right miss and you know he kind of actually hit a couple T shots there I forget which hole he was referencing about hugging the left side a shot he just like didn't have as of a couple of months ago. Um, so I don't know it's hard not to get really 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 amped up about his chances
4: especially at a golf course where even if the the driver does go off the rails a little bit, you know, it's kind of like the, the best golf course you could possibly be at. Right. It's, it's the least punishing for the, uh, the big wayward drives.
1: Hmm. Now it, 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 you have, there's a more of a prereq with driver now at Augusta than there has been, you know, maybe 15 or so years ago. So why is that? What are you- well, I mean, just like it's, it's narrowed. Like it's the, with how much length they've added to it and narrowing it and planting trees, you can't, you, know, you can still hit yourself and get yourself in some ass spots. You can ask Bryson about that totally. from last year. And
3: but, but also, I think there's I mean, it's, it's all dependent upon the weather forecast, right? But the rough's not penal. No. And Second cut. Come on. Man. Yeah. I'm sorry. I apologize, <laughs> Mr. Ridley.
4: And to Billy Payne. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, if, you know, Maybe. we hope Tron can regain <laughs> the public's trust. The public's trust.
3: Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I think, you know, like a hole that, that, strikes me as one that matters on his say 11 or seven or 17 and you know one of the holes like that and and even then it's like he's hitting his iron so freaking well that you know i have no doubt that that's not going to be even an issue for him, even if uh, he's in the rough.
1: Playing fast Second is so cut, good, me. so good for him because he's not going to feel the need to, you know, fly balls a long way. He is much better when he's able to hit like running drives and tee shots that he feels like he can get in play, get running and hit short irons into greens. That's going to be, it's going to play very well for him, I think. Uh, it, it, adverse saying, you know, somebody like Bryson has a huge advantage if it's soft and it's playing slow and it's all a carry game. That's a very different game,
4: indeed. Anybody is anybody gonna be a weather forecast guy? Anybody know what's going on? I've been peeking at You've it. you have been peeking a there's little bit.
3: There's no there's like there's no rhyme or reason. It's forty percent. It's it's just Georgia in the spring. Yeah, forty percent, fifty percent chance of rain.
4: Don't like the weather. <laughs> <laughs> just wait five minutes. You
3: know. Uh, all right. There's
4: gonna listen. We've talked about speed plenty. There's gonna be plenty of speed talk throughout the week. I'm sure. I want to talk about Rom's newfound perspective. Of course. Congratulations to. John Rom and his wife Kelly, I believe, Mm -hmm. uh, welcoming a new child. You know that was that's that's worth mentioning. That was that was the whole. There was a lot of comments on like, listen, I straight up will leave the Masters. I don't care. I'm telling you guys right now, if the baby comes, then I will be out. So we don't have to worry about that. Rom will be there in pretty good form. You know, it seems like a complete bomb threat.
2: Yeah. Played well last year. It's not really totally. a question. Yeah. I don't really, you know, I don't know well, what. Rom and Brooks were question marks
1: heading into this week, and now we're kind of scrambling a little bit to know definitively that both of them are playing.
4: Brooks's uh, phone works. We know that. Yeah, he's, he's tweeting uh vociferously. I took that personally, <laughs> and I took that personally. Uh, hats off. That was a great tweet. That was Awesome. I, tweet. Very very excited to Nobody's see. Nobody's
3: mentioned the greatest player of all time. We're gonna man. get to. <laughs> we're
1: gonna probably get there. I assume. I actually think I forgot to put him in the agenda. Now we're set. Is anybody talking about DJ? That's what, true. What do you have to say about DJ?
3: He's coming in, keeping a low profile. And, Is that a uh, good thing?
2: He hadn't done much a lot since, uh, what was it last T eleven at the tournament of champions. I think we go- like best going back best to, finish of the year. Two withdrawals in that time period. Too. Yeah, kind of weird. Yeah,
3: I'm, I'm not loving it. But going back, does DJ have to do anything? Leading in, no. He can he can do it every once. He, wants. he also won. Champ. He
4: also won the bone saw, which you need to recognize. That's true.
2: That was after Kapalua.
3: I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. That's right. Please that's apologize right. to. Uh, to, but uh, but MBS. maybe the, like
2: you said about Bryson, the candidies don't set up quite as well for DJ if it's if it's firm.
3: I would, I would disagree there. I mean, it just seemed it's, it's such a crap shit. And
1: big. Like he still can play extremely sure. well there, but like he it fits his game better to hit that high, long, big carry fade when it's so, compared to comparatively to the
4: rest of the field when it's super soft. But uh, speaking of a guy who hits it, you know, high and long, any thoughts on Rory? He's. He's he's played the under the radar part
1: to perfection. If his whole goal was to throw everyone off the scent, you know, get a new coach and have no results coming into it, I think he's successfully come in under. The radar. I'm staying
2: away from him this week, but I'm rooting for him. Well, you know, un- I'm un- 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 like, quarantining
3: against Rory. Like we're trying to stop this strain of Rory. That sounds. It sounds like you broke up with him
4: yeah. a little
2: no, bit. No, I, wish I, him well, I made a know, bad I choice to think like he he's happy. gonna he's gonna hit, silence the haters at the players, and it was that just, was a bad call. That was a bad call. That was a bad call. So yeah, I just want to give him some time and God hopefully he wins.
4: I'm I'm staying away from Rory on
2: this. <laughs> It'll be a great piece to replay. Uh, it's true. I mean I am too. i get you looking at the camera and just say, I am fading Rory this week. <laughs> no, I'm not. That's the thing. I'm not fading him. You're the you you're the one telling me downstairs you're gonna bet him Plus four hundred to miss the cut. I said it was attractive for sure. I did not have <laughs> financial relations. Yeah, I'm just I
4: glanced like at it. I, okay, I, I glanced at plus four hundred to miss the cut. I glanced at it for sure.
2: I'm not. I'm not rooting against him, but I'm just gonna let him. You know, he. We're just gonna be friends this week. I think
3: there's a definitive. Like you got DJ at, at plus nine fifty. You've got Bryson at plus eleven fifty. Jordan at plus eleven fifty. Rom at plus twelve fifty. JT at plus twelve fifty. That's like tier one. Right. That or the field is is a real question. Yeah, and then Rory's plus 1,900. Cantley plus uh twenty fifty, and then that's kind of its own tier, and then Xander's the next closest at plus twenty six hundred. So I think for me, I think like I would if you're looking at somebody that hits it high and far, I'm looking at J T instead, because I, I like I, I think JT is underperformed at Augusta thus far. And Definitely. Like, he's he is I'm looking at him next as yo know, like, which I don't you know. Need to win here.
4: I don't know what that is. If that's been his putting, or I would have to probably dive into the stats a little bit. You got any any read on JT? What coming in? Any any prognosis? Thoughts for his week? I feel like about four times I've convinced myself that everything should
1: line up perfectly for him. Feels coming like, like Rory, Masters, yeah, right? does, yeah, and he just hasn't had the the results, you know, really stick. Um, Has he I've, played
3: since the Masters? Or I mean, I guess he played at the the match play oh, yeah, match play but. since the players, but um, no, I. I I don't. I
1: don't have a great read. I wish. I wish I did. I don't have a great reason as to why he doesn't have great results there. I think he himself has said out loud, like, I everything should line up so well for me on this course that I think my expectations probably change a little bit. But I don't know. I feel like he kind of people kind of forgot about him. Myself, ourselves included, ahead of the players, and you feel he's classic guy. Like you feel so dumb when he's like winning, (laughs) you know, and and tearing something up. Like how did I miss that? Like of course he's going to. I don't know. He's a dude that every, t- every time with picks, I've never timed it up right.
3: I think going back to last year, we both of us, and this was pre all the drama with him this year, but... Both of us said, "Hey, like I, we expect him to kind of take a leap and take a next step." And I'm I'm still with that. I think I could not have been more impressed with his win at Sawgrass.
1: Real quick on Rory, if I may, since 2012, these are the longest odds he's ever had heading heading into a Masters. In 2012, he was plus 600. 2013, plus 1,000. 14, plus 1,000. 15, plus 650. 16, plus 800. 17, plus 700. 18, plus 1,000. 19, plus 800. 2020, plus 1,200. And now he's plus 1,900 that's interesting, he can't that's hit interesting. His
4: wedges it's it's really interesting just specifically to Augusta that that's kind of the only golf course and obviously it's because it's the only major where you you play it every year but it's interesting how hyper analytical you get about the golf course and that exact thing of that that gets into people's heads of like oh my god this place should fit you so well this should fit you so yeah. well like imagine how many people are saying that to Rory Constantly or and JT or JT yeah it's just oh man just wait just wait pro wait till next week Augusta, God that fits you so well like how does that not creep into the back of your head
2: you this know is, it's this is anecdotal but I feel like JT's gotten off some bad starts at like Thursday he just kind of you know no shows and then he plays a little bit better throughout the week Re- reverse Charlie Hoffman yes well said
3: RIP all right I know that's I a know. bummer that is a bummer
4: I honestly would not have been upset if they were like we're yeah we're giving yeah, you a sponsor exception why don't you just come <laughs> on in. Great play yesterday, Chuck. <laughs> I'll never forget Tron and Randy somewhat. They goaded me
1: into like falling for this, and I actually like pretty much fell for it that there was a Monday qualifier for the Masters. <laughs> like 10 years ago, they were like, Yeah, well, he could still Monday qualify. I was like, What? I didn't know there was a Monday
4: qualifier. I'm like, No, you idiot. There's not, it's yeah, There's it's over the champions a retreat. That would be sick. I would watch that. Yeah. All right. We talked to Bryson just a little bit. Anything anybody wants to add? He's, you know, he's trying to bang balls off the media center today, it looked like. Uh, Seriously? I mean, I think it's it's what it's like three sixty four carry or something from the range. So on his own, Doyle rule shit again. Kind of, I mean, I'm sure he is. It, he's, he's he's trying cut, to hit it over all the nets and, and kind
3: of uphill there too. Yeah, isn't there
1: a story of I, I tried to find this before we came on, but I couldn't find it officially noted when Tiger was there in '96 or '97 that on the old range he was pounding balls over the net on there, and he was asked like to stop, and he didn't. <laughs> Somebody said if hit one more over, like you're leaving the property.
3: I was I I heard that from a someone who was standing there with a member the member was like I'm the range guy I have to walk over to Tiger and tell him like hey like we're going to have to ask you to leave the property if you keep hitting, <laughs> like Mr. Woods if you hit another ball over the there lord and he just packs up his shit and leaves what am I would love to do
1: that with Bryce that I have a feeling yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no I'm taking the opposite tack I think that I think the Riddler and everybody is they are using this year especially with it being relatively firm hopefully they didn't put the new T in on 13 previous to, like they would have had to have done it you know before November.
4: One thing we should mention on the golf course, they didn't really have time to make any of their their usual tweaks True. that get that get unveiled. But some Masters of these week.
3: tweaks would have been made fairly prior, yeah. To, la- to, prior to Yeah. Prior to like the April Masters last year um, that uh, never happened. But I think I'm kind of thinking they're going to use this to force the USGA's hand.
1: That's what November kind of felt like. They didn't set it up very tough in November, DJ broke the scoring record.
3: I think I think November though was was like. Like I don't know what conditions are doing. Half there. the green, like yeah. they couldn't put the pin on sixteen where they wanted to because there was no grass back there, yeah. or they had to grow up the rough because there was no other there was no other alternative. It felt like a lot of question marks. Yeah. You don't really know what what was going to be going. Whereas on. whereas this feels like, hey, we we have this land behind thirteen, we can use it, but like we're gonna give you all one more chance to like like we're, we'll show you what's gonna happen here, and if you if you don't do anything about this, then boom,
4: <laughs> lightning. <laughs>
1: tournament ball tournament yeah. ball
4: back to uh uh bryson in the driving range what i i gotta shout out one of my favorite uh brendan porath bits was, was you know you get reports all the time of bryson hitting it over the nets at all these different driving ranges and porath has been lobbying for a long time that bryson should cut one of the loops of the nets for each one that he uh, <laughs> that he hits it over like a, a college coach so i don't know what he'd do at the media center maybe file a a quick gamer, probably uh, these days, maybe uh, a piece of sponsored content somewhere, maybe something on the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia he could write about. But uh, that's a lo- that's a weird <laughs> one. Yeah, no, I wonder if Bryson's yeah. going on yeah. there.
2: Sorry, I wonder if Bryson's you know TikTok house boys are. <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> Hanging it on the range with them. do it, Bryson. <laughs> <Hit him laughs> in the net,
3: bro. Woo! <laughs>
2: Your set's up. <laughs> uh, all right, what else? Brooks Kapka, We didn't really talk a ton about, but. He Tons
3: seems, of question he seems marks. Seems to be lashing out for attention right now. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind
4: of well was interesting. On Nineteen days uh, ago,
2: there was no make make or miss cut for exactly. looked Brooks, for that right. So they're you know, the house is you know protecting. They don't want to get outflanked. flanked. Well, Boy, he's he talking had, about going downhill. Like he's just to find
1: flat ways to go down the hill. Like it hurts to go downhill, so he's trying to find like instead of walking directly down the slope on ten. Like trying to find a way down that is not put as much stress on the knees. like walks. <laughs> Yo, dude, are you playing in this just because Brad Faxon said you might be out eight months? Like, it kind of seems like, I don't know if you really kind of should be yeah. playing. Have you made just the, had knee surgery?
3: I made the cut and finished T48. Taste it, Faxon. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Is, I mean, he had knee surgery on, what, like March 16th or something like that? Or March 8th? And not or, like minor knee surgery uh, either. Uh, yeah, it's, it's
1: wild. It's it, like Brooks, you know. That was during he's spring training. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> come on, man. That was during spring Seating training. A lot of guys start the year on the disabled list. Exactly. I know you're totally. a retired baseball player. Just but a 15 day, man. Yeah, just, yeah, just I don't even. It's, has it even been 15 days? All right, so uh, we're
3: down to we got you're a big can't lay guy, Neil.
2: Huge. Can't lay? Can't lay. Like, to win. You like him? Love him. Okay. Yeah. All right. I uh, think he's going to just pour cold water on all the Speeth stuff, and I think he might just be surgical out there and start. You know, pull putting bullets in people's heads, I, I, and then you got Zan- you got vacancy. Xander
3: at plus twenty six hundred, Brooks at plus twenty eight hundred, Morikawa plus thirty one fifty. And are we forgetting about Morikawa? Uh, another dude. That's, that's like, one that it feels like tell. Xander being that far above Morikawa feels maybe a little bit off. I just
2: Sanders had results in the past. Morikawa also
3: can't make short putts.
2: Dude, honestly, I don't know if Mark it's Collins real or only not, but once there.
4: yeah, I go back to the putting thing with Morikawa, yeah. right? Like, but I guess he's probably gonna have a ton of great looks, so maybe it'll balance out, and maybe nobody really
3: puts great there. Who knows? Bird, I think I think people are forgetting about Bird. Yeah, plus thirty five hundred.
2: I know, like, admittedly, Cantlet has been kind of nowhere to be found since I guess Tread, Palm Springs, but I feel like you know, Treadslam. kind of like when he came out and won the. That's that's what he gets you. Though. Yeah, that's what he. Gets. No, he's just so good, and it f- this place does feel like it fits him really well. Just like he hits a draw when he's on. Like God, he's so surgical. So I, I feel like he could he could do some big things this week.
3: I feel like Berger versus Cant. Like I'm not sure if it's a matchup on here, but they're in the same group. I think that's a really good like interesting. That is matchup. Casey Finau, Hovland, Reed, Webb. Cam Smith, all at plus thirty five hundred.
4: I think I could be wrong. I got to look it up, but I think Data Golf had me now as their second biggest like course adjustment guy. Like the it should the, be great course. For him. Like the guy who you know second best like His this course great. fits this guy yeah. the best. Yeah, it's it
1: was, not playing great. I mean, I feel like he went so freaking hard there in the early part of the winter and had so many close calls, and then kind of coming in and playing a little, little light. Let's get it. He's been spending I mean, too much time. This podcasting. is it. Let's get it,
4: man. <laughs> this is uh according to data golf, the adjustment for the golf course this week. So guys who gain the most strokes because of the golf course. Bryson, Finau, Dustin, Spieth, And then we get to Jimmy Walker, which might be, <laughs> a, the last year the might be a data outlier, but uh then it's Rory, the last
3: year of Jimmy Walker's existence. Rory
4: Brooks, JT. So it just it feels like horses only, which sure. I think is another kind of talking point about. This week is, you know, I know we can talk long shots. And we can talk about all those things, but it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a. I'd be I'd be lying wins. if I
2: didn't consider just picking the top five favorite <laughs> guys yeah. to win. Just yeah. you know what? Let's just do that. At some point, I I may do that, but I didn't do it this week.
4: And going back to Brooks real quick, if he does somehow play well, I mean, of, of course, it's not the same thing, but it's going to have whiffs of of Tory Pines a little bit. It could be sure. it could
2: be a fun like if he's limping all over the place. It's like, sign yeah. me up. I w- would watch. And don't get me wrong. I'm glad he's trying to yeah. play. That's good. It's, you know, good for us. Good content. So we'll keep you posted.
3: Solid question I've got for you. Why does Webb not play well here? Or play...
2: He was hitting a lot of shanks for a while. He, that, hit, he that was t- I looked it up. He was T10 last year. But now his results haven't been... Really, and you know, I mean, that's this, this course great.
1: demands distance more than a normal pj Tour course does.
3: But also it, considered a second shot golf course, right? It
1: is. Uh, I I do wonder how much of that is, you know,
3: just lore. And yeah, a
1: little bit. I mean, in the late '90s, it was 100% a second shot golf course because you could almost hit it anywhere off the tee. But now it's like it's a prereq to be able to hit driver in you know this amount of distance at <laughs> minimum and straight. And that's not Webb's greatest strength. It seemed so. to help Bubba for a while. And I'm, the fact that this course looks very appealing to left-handers compared of to right-handers. Of
3: I'm, I'm excited to... <laughs> <laughs> they should have need. given you a sponsor
4: exemption for your bravery this year.
3: The worst thing
1: Augusta's ever done is take down the video that somebody posted online of oh. Bubba winning the Masters, but they inverted it. So it's oh, Bubba right-handed awesome. and it shows you Augusta how it would look. You know, if if it played that way for a right-hander, and it was, it's mind blowing. Very so triggering.
4: Let's do a couple picks. Let's start with everybody's favorite. Who will not win? Uh, Of course, renamed the DJ and Solly Memorial. The DJ Solly and Solly now. DJ Solly and Solly.
3: Uh,
2: Are there are there parameters? (laughs) It, like you're, just not, uh, you so, just gonna get really overcomplicate this shit. This is just yeah, yeah, who yeah will from, from the horses. Come on, yeah. I, so
4: like I think it's only it's only right that you start.
3: Everybody's gonna pick a Rory, right?
4: No, well, no, that's I right. I think Rory
1: should not be. Yeah, and
3: that that counts. Rory
1: counts, I would say. But yeah, I'm gonna that's pick that's wrong. That's what I'm saying. I'm gonna pick wrong. Okay, okay.
4: The perspective <laughs>
1: is not there, which I
4: don't think it'll bother him because he's got all this new perspective. Yeah, that's that's very fair. You know, yeah. You just think he's distracted. Yeah, too much. Too much going on.
3: Having a newborn is is. It's not good for your golf game,
2: <laughs> uh, Neil. Morikawa. Um, I think we said it with the putting, and it's only the second uh, round at Augusta. I just don't think he has enough experience out there on the greens. I think you know the strokes gained approach is like the stat du jour for the Masters. I saw, you know, Kyle Porter had an awesome tweet about like you know how that's that's the stat, and it's just I, I think you got to combine it with somebody who knows the greens really well. So I, I think more. I don't think Morikawa's going to win. Plus thirty one fifty? Do we call for a second name
1: on that list? Is that a little stretch? Well, I, the, the reason you know what, I say to, that is because
2: everybody's been like, Oh, he's my guy. You know? I mean, if you I can make another pick <laughs> if you want me to. Let me let me say two things. I, don't I, know about th- to say, I thought that was a thoughtful pick. It is. But whoever you're about
4: to say is definitely gonna win, so I want you to pick a second <laughs> name. I would say two things in Neil's defense. One Morkow is the defending PGA champion.
2: It's like the sure. fourth-ranked yeah. player in the world. Two,
4: it's been a tough year for. Neil. And you
2: went on for like five. <laughs> you fair. went on for five minutes after the workday blah 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 at the concession yeah. golf club about how he's got to be a favorite for the Masters for the players. I said, second, like a,
3: He's also the fourth-ranked player in the world.
2: That's not. Yeah. I that's think it's a totally horse. fair. I think it's totally okay. fair. Tron, who
3: will not win. I am, I'm. I'm going to say Bryson, because I, I, a I want to root against him all week. <laughs> he's the fucking worst. And B, I think there's, I think there's things about Augusta that don't, that are more artful than they are science. Right? The greens
1: book thing is, I was very That's dismissive very of it thing. in November, and like multiple people have been like, no, 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 very real thing. And I use, I used a greens book in a tournament for the first time, and I was like, oh my god, these one, these should never be allowed, <laughs> and two, this is extremely helpful.
3: And even being out there too, I think there's just certain, especially if it's playing firm and fast, you're going to get bounces, and it's going to, and they're not all going to be good, and you're going to be in weird. Weird spots where you you really don't know how far or how the ball is going to react coming in from that angle. Oh my gosh, what is happening, Timmy? (laughs) Tim,
1: I do believe he's learned from November though. I think he's sets up way better in April than November.
3: I'm a little I'm scared and totally. I think he's you know it's it's obviously a much it's a huge a huge advantage to hit driving iron versus three wood even or or you know three wood instead of driver. Like I think that's the most underrated part of distance. It's not that he's hitting his driver. Pass where these other guys are hitting their drivers, which is also an advantage. It's it's when he can hit a five iron off the tee when other guys are hitting three wood.
4: I think a couple things. First of all, I rode hard for Bryson in November. That will continue,
3: but also you know
4: I, I think people forget he's he's a, a self learning AI. You know like he's he knows the greens book thing is a disadvantage. He probably knows what he needed to work on. I, I think he's if that means playing atrociously slow practice rounds or figuring out some way to get. Tim out there charting every blade of grass or something. I, I think he's going to figure that out. That would That's be a
2: very valid point, but I think he's going to figure. You it saw out. you saw the product updates to the Microsoft <laughs> Azure cloud. I know I know what you're reading. That would be That's really, what the sharps really, are reading. They're reading the uh, the, the case studies turtles, on, on Azure's website.
3: You got it. I will call on the Green Jackets. Penalize his ass. Put him on the clock. Penalize his ass if he plays
4: slow. Yeah, I'm saying when guys, he I think slow. he's going to play slow practice rounds. I don't think. But
2: he, anyways, he walks so fast, time,
3: Though
4: Bryson's a very admirable pick.
3: Great. Just, Thank you.
4: Yes, I, I love it. Uh, I no real rhyme or reason other than you know we mentioned him earlier and he hasn't played great, hasn't been super impressive. I think JT mm. hasn't been super impressive at. You don't Masters, think he's going to win? Say. I think I'm that him to not win. I'm, I'm surprised
2: nobody picked DJ. I DJ <laughs> know. might win by like six. six he's so the greatest <laughs> player of all I thought about picking DJ. So you know what? I'll pick Dustin then if, oh. if Morca was not a an option. <laughs> we got catch.
3: I'll pick both. Made it
1: into it. I love
2: that's it. That's the Randy. Randy always picks multiple.
1: I and that's what I got suckered into at the players and I Ray. I added JT. In. I think
3: I think JT is going to come back to
1: bite
4: you. Very much so. It's totally possible, but the goal as always is to try to pick the guy who finishes second. You know, you want to pick the most impressive.
2: Sometimes I wish guy you could you bet get. on guys to not make the yeah. top 20 or you know, not just the make miss cuts. Sure. Which
3: going back on the whole top five, top ten, top twenty bets, I, I, like I need to stop doing those. I'm exhausted. Yeah, I know. They're they're tough. When when you you get cut down, yeah. And then I had Honorban Lahiri. I've ridden these to be in
1: the Draft King, though. I, I'm going to yeah. I'm gonna I fight think you got to have I love them. the top ten. Top I, had Chris, I
3: had Chris Kirk for top ten. I missed that, or for a top five, I missed that by a, sh- a one stroke last week because. Honor Bon Laheri made a birdie on 18. And then I had uh Ryan Palmer and I missed that by a shot for a top 10. Hate that, man. How devastating. Hate oh.
4: that. All right. We you know, we mentioned it's probably gonna be Clodsdale big time horse this week, but some other uh sleepers. We will probably be the only game we should have mentioned. Dark horses and sleepers. So I think we should I think we should jump on that block. Uh Tron, who who you got? Who's who's peaking your interest?
3: I mean, I, I hesitate to call him a sleeper. If for some reason they have him at plus 115 or plus 15,000 Mark Leishman that's
4: I have a feeling we're going to be hearing that name a lot.
3: Very 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 disrespectful <laughs> in my opinion.
4: Really to the whole continent of Australia. Yeah, that, I don't really I, know what that means, but I'm assuming it means disrespect.
3: <laughs> yeah, it, it just I I don't know. I'm I'm like I'm fucking floored by that. That's my sleeper. And then I mean like what's considered a sleeper, right? I think.
2: I mean, you just, just answered it, yeah. yeah so that's, it, that's right good there. enough. Who's your uh, sleeper? Sungjae M, hundred. Forty one fifty. When not a ton last of experience, year. right? But but yeah, that's he impressive. played well last year. He hasn't been playing great. You know, he's not trending. But I mean, you it's know. a second Chuck golf course. People nah, forget, I mean, he just people forget a, that. he's just a gamer. So couldn't believe this one. Sergio
1: Garcia is plus six thousand. Striking the ball disturbingly well. Nice. Obviously has won here. He hasn't obviously. been putting great, but obviously. Uh, <laughs> like, how good he hit the ball at the match play. I was like, oh, cool. I'll take him at anything, like obviously, around 30 to 1.
3: Obviously, I'm going to take him.
1: <laughs> and he's plus 6,000, so that's my sleeper. Deej?
4: I had a couple guys just, you know, going to the lefty thing. A uh, guy who really impressed me at the match play. Obviously, doesn't hit it great. Or doesn't obviously. hit it super obviously. far, obviously. obviously but. My Brian Harmon. Harmon. Uh, plus 12,500. Practically a home game for, you know, Georgia guy. <laughs> and then the other one was no, he's not in great form. Uh, no, you know, I've, this surely is just a homer pick for me, but, you know, Team Rose is plus like 10,000 right now. That's nuts, man. He always plays well at Augusta. So that's, nah, I mean, true. he stinks, but he always plays well here. It's,
3: it's, you know, maybe worth a couple shekels. I'll tell you what uh, I think a really interesting pool would be. If you did, uh, Joaquin Neiman, Sung Jae, Cam Smith, and Matt Fitzpatrick—just the, the ball-striking Jessies. Ball-striking Jessies, <laughs> but all young and don't have. Which apparently in the UK that is like a, an offensive term.
4: Really? Yeah. I, so, I would like to take this opportunity no, to apologize <laughs> <at it laughs> to the UK. All right, it's time to make picks, Neil. You know what, man? You're coming off a victory. Let's. Whoever goes first
2: looks like the the trendsetter. So we'll give you the uh, we'll give you the. The floor is yours. Okay, thank you very much, Mister Pie. I'm going to start it off with a parlay this week. Matchup parlay. Hell the, yeah! There it's, were so many. Hot, there are so many matches. bets on. Uh, and and important to note, we're doing 200 nuggies this week. That's right. Oh, sure. I should have mentioned that. Um, this you know, is it's major. A, it's, it's a major. Um, so the parlay is going to be Matt Wallace over Ian Poulter. Mike Wallace uh, minus 120. Patrick Cantlay over Rory, minus 120. Max Homa over Matthew Wolf, minus 143. And Corey Connors over Adam Scott, minus 120. 20 nuggies on that, plus 959. So we like those. I like the way all those guys are playing. And then moving on to my final four bets, uh, Matt Wallace to finish as one of the top three English players, 40 nuggets, plus 220. Mike Weir will make the cut, plus 200. Forty nuggies on that. Has Sung JM has he been playing kind of nice? Yeah, yes. nice and like he like made the Champions cut last year. That's a cheeky yeah. play. Uh, that is a nice Sung JM top ten plus four hundred sixty nuggies on that. And Patrick Cantlay top ten plus two hundred nuggies. Forty nut sorry plus two hundred forty nuggies. You notice I did not pick a winner. Not falling in love with winners this week. We're staying out of the pouch. Mm.
3: <laughs> we'll see about that last part. <laughs>
2: sensible picks from the beluga this week <laughs>
3: <laughs> tron dj I'm, I'm throwing it to you
4: really yeah you, you you're deferring first. to the yeah, second yeah. half yeah. uh i love that thank you uh, neil also starting with a, a matchups parlay just three matchups uh also had max over wolf uh, i really like that one bryson over jt i mentioned mm. that you know i'm sure that's going to come back to bite me but i don't care and then you know, Sophie's choice for for TC, I know. But uh, Jordan Spieth over Scotty Scheffler. Mm. Uh, that all nets out to plus 441. I'm putting 40 nuggies on that one. Getting into some props. Bryson to make an eagle in round one. I, I thought know about that's, those. That's low-hanging but What were the fruits? odds on that? Uh, that is
2: plus 400. I was actually looking up the the, the oh, stats really? on yeah. on Eagles like who has the most. I, <laughs> I might like, change my picture. I set it up kind of tough early. Though. Yeah, I so. know it. So that it's it is
4: around one play. So we'll see, but you know, twenty nuggets there. Tron, I'm gonna set the table for you a little amuse bouche for the people. Uh, Mark Leishman is top Australian is plus five fifty. Right now, so I'm throwing 20 nuggets on that. Tron has been talking our ears off about about Leash. She's hearing good things. I just, I love it. I don't. I'm not even. Dude, there's a <laughs> lot. <laughs> I want
2: to ride. I want to rise a lot of that. good Aussies. Like, there's a lot of Aussies there, of playing course, well. Of course. When Plus, five fifties hard yeah. to
3: ignore. When I was leaving the grounds on Saturday, Jason Day was already out there hitting balls. He's swinging. gonna wear himself out. Yeah. We love that.
4: This one might surprise some people. I'm going uh, Tony Finau to win. Really? No. <laughs> Group C. Tony Fienar to win group C plus three fifty. Boo this man. Uh, you know what, I'll take it. I just like, I just, like just wanna see if I could if I could hook somebody in, into uh into that. But Tony Fiona to win group C. I have no you know, no worries about him winning the actual golf tournament, but play sets up great and uh I have no doubt that he'll be an uncompetitive top ten. Uh twenty nuggets there. And then of course of course, I mean of course we booked this, you know. We booked this trip months ago. Uh, total no exchange fees, uh, no transfer fees. Jordan speed to win. Uh, plus eleven fifty hundred nuggets on that. Okay. Figure everybody's putting hundred nuggies. I figured everybody's picking speed to win. Apparently not, but uh, I figured everybody's picking him, so I'm I'm going to try to outrun, outgun everybody with hundred nuggets there. That's all we got.
1: I feel locked in now. um I'm also going to take Speed to win, uh, just 25 nuggets at plus 1150. You know, I kind of feel.
4: Gaining. Yeah,
1: I know that. I feel weak just saying that out loud. Also, 25 nuggets on him at. Um, I'm sorry, 50 nuggets on him at plus 125 to top 10. Like, I, he's going to be in the top 10. We know sure. that. Listen, I'm putting my money where my mouth is at with Sergio Garcia though. 20 nuggets on him to win at plus six thousand. Uh, as I look at this, I regret some of the totals I put in there. But listen, we're already too, we're already this far into it. <laughs> Uh, Also, Sergio to top 10, 30 nuggets on that at plus 450. That's my favorite bet uh, of all of them, that one at plus 450. Finally, DJ is going to beat Bryson overall, uh, straight-up matchup, 75 nuggets on that one at minus 114.
2: That's it. That's my picks. Love it. Love it. Sergio and Spieth. Two guys that never break your heart. That
4: kind of feels like a pouch dodger to me, but I'll, I'll allow it. Pouch dodger? You can't call me a pouch dodger, was, a pouch dodger when My, I'm wearing the hat. Minus, like I'm beating all of no, them. I think we you. can
2: absolutely call yeah, you we a can. pouch dodger. Yeah, what does that mean? Because there's no, there's no. Well, there's, 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 there's some no new, some new stuff
3: in the pouch.
2: Too. There is some new stuff in the pouch. Minus one fourteen is a, it's a pouch dodger. Yes. Well, not not just, pouch dodger. Let's let's just call it what it 75 is. I put seventy five
3: nuggets
4: on. I'm trying just, to win. Just call I'm Here it to it win. Is. You
1: guys are here to play uh, for the pouch. I, mean, I don't even think about pouch. I'm with. I'm Minus with odds is tough. You guys keep talking about the pouch. I keep wearing the hat. It's
4: totally legal. It's totally legal. If we don't like it, we should close loopholes.
3: But it's a pouch dodger. Tron, to you. All right. First and foremost, we're going to get this out of the way. P- many people are asking, you doing a Heinz this week? You're doing a Super Heinz? You're doing a Yankee? All the
4: people. All the people. Hundreds of people are asking. I'm,
3: I'm doing a Yankee. All right. It's, which is four f- you know, four plays, basically. Yeah, nobody knows what it is. So what are they? I'm taking Tony Finau to win, Group C. Sure. Um, plus 350. Lee Westwood, plus 350. Very interesting, Group E. Uh, you got Matsuyama, Westwood, Connors, Hatton, and Neiman. Hatton, terrible record here. Neiman, not much of a record here. And then Connors
2: uh, T10 last year,
3: and, yeah. And Connor, you know, I don't know, whatever. Um, <laughs> okay. And then I got Cam Smith, group winner for group D, and then Cantley, group winner for group B. And I'm doing a, a Yankee on those four dollars per way, so it's 11 ways, $44 total wager. Thirty-four hundred and eighty-five dollar payout. Nug- or nuggies. I, right heard, of I heard none of that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then, really, we're, we're getting into the meat of our plays here. We're going Big Bob McIntyre, top debutante player. I almost had Interesting. that. Interesting. God. I plus two fifty for sixteen nuggies. Zalatoris. Zalatoris huh? nice, and though. Carlos Ortiz are the other yeah. two options. Top, um,
4: shout out top debutante is an awesome category.
3: And then we're going Dustin Johnson, top ten, plus one twenty. 10 nuggies. And yeah, I'll get out in front of it. That's a pouch dodger. Camera. That's a pouch you guys dodger. Are
2: truly schnitzes. That's a pouch That's, a those dodger. Those are schnitzy bets.
4: Period. Point blank, full stop. TC has, he's going the wrong way on his standings and now he's
2: he's starting to yeah. get bad thoughts in his head. No, 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 Hold on, hold on, hold on. To feel like he was invincible and for weeks. F- I play the game the right way. And then for plus 10, plus 200 or up. And then
3: for 10 nuggies, we're going. Uh, How's it working Mark out? Mark Leishman, plus Not great. Plus 15,000 to win. And then for 120 nuggies were going Mark Leishman top 10 plus 900.
1: Jesus. <sighs> Love that. You will be the draft king if that hits. That's
3: that's all she wrote, folks. All right, let, listen, the the who you think should win should be
4: I think if you're if you're playing the game the right way should be reflected in your picks. But if not any anybody if want somebody to change walked their up pick to you to win, on the streets and said, "Who's your pick to win? What's your answer?" My pick is Jordan Speith. Jordan Speith. Mark Leishman. Patrick Cantlay. There you have it. And there you have it, folks. Uh, (laughs) I always feel like, you know, Billy Payne, just enjoy the whatever year, Masters. The the, the Masters is officially underway. Have fun. Uh, Have fun. Uh,
1: Guys, this was great. It's going to be a great week. Tune Tune in. in. We'll be doing live shows all week. Wrap up pod Sunday night. We're going to we take are, care of
2: these pouch dodgers later. You're going to be bringing the fire. If
3: everybody's a pouch dodger, is anybody a pouch dodger? I don't
2: think we're pouch oh, dodgers not, this week. not ever a pouch <laughs> dodger. I hate my picks, <laughs> but I don't think but I'm like a pouch truly, dodger. Truly, me and the pouchers, we go way back. I
3: just nugs on a plus 900 play. Come on. <laughs>
1: up next is our interview with Mark O'Mira. Before we get to that, we know exactly what event we're talking about when we say the golfers are in Augusta, Georgia, to compete for the coveted jacket, DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action by giving you a shot to land in the green. See, Neil, that's how that's done, in the green. This week, DraftKings is giving you 100 to 1 odds on the golfer of your choosing to finish in the top 10. If you haven't tried DraftKings, this is the time to do it. Turning $1 into $100 is simple. All you gotta do is pick any golfer from this weekend's tournament, and if they finish in the top 10, you cash $100. 101 odds on an offer like this does not come around often. So sign up for dra- the DraftKings Sportsbook now to get in on all the action and choose your golfer uh, before the tournament tees off on Thursday morning. DraftKings, you've heard us say this. It is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. That is a huge, huge, huge value add uh, when gaming online. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code NOU when you sign up to turn $1 into $100. If the golfer of your choosing finishes in the top 10 of this weekend's tournament, that's code NLU to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9 with it. Without any further delay, let's bring in Marco Mira. So what's your excitement level for Masters week now that you're not playing? And and what I'm getting at is, was there any stress maybe in recent years about playing the tournament that distracted you from enjoying the week like maybe you do now that you're not playing in the tournament?
0: Well, I would say for sure there, there was always going to become a point where at my age and maybe at my abilities to play the game at the level I'd like to play that I would have to make a choice that the time might come to where I needed to walk away. But uh, that's the great thing about the masters is the fact that the masters tournament and the committee and our chairman, you know, leave it to the, basically the discretion of the player to decide to walk away or choose to walk away at, at their their time. And I just felt uh, I played relatively well when I was in my late 50s there and then I could kind of see the writing on the wall that the course was getting longer and it was getting tougher and so I felt like, you know, it was time to move away, and eighteen was that year, two thousand and eighteen.
1: I mean, it's got to be so hard to decide when that's going to be because you made the cut in twenty fifteen. You finished tied for twenty second. It was your first time making the cut since two thousand five. But I, I just I can't imagine what you know, kind of going through that of like, gosh, it would be so fun to play in this thing forever, yet still wanting to feel competitive. That's got
0: to just be a, a tough balance. It, it's a hard it's a hard decision to make. From the standpoint, you know, you look, when you're competitive and you want to play, but you also have to see the writing on the wall when it comes to the fact that, you know, when you get a little bit older, you don't hit it as far. And, and I felt like distance was what was hurting me around Augusta. Like, if I could hit it 20 yards further than what I do, if I hit it maybe Fred Couples' length or Sandy Lyle's length, then it's, certainly I would have kept playing. But because I hit it, you know, Mark O'Mara length, which is not short, but it's just not quite – to where I'm at such a huge disadvantage and I didn't see the point point in feeling like if I played my absolute best and everything went well, you know, I'd make the cut. I just, I knew, look, made the chance of me winning ever again was probably for sure out the window, but I also believe that there just was a time where, you know, it wasn't as much fun anymore. I mean, I, I don't want to go out and shoot 77, 78, 74, 79. I just, Chris, I just felt like it, 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 I, I didn't see the writing on the wall. And, and which was really unique is from the standpoint that everybody that was kind of in my camp or there was around me, my wife or, or my kids or whoever would say, well, you know, why, why aren't you playing? And in and 2019, I won in Tucson about a, three weeks or a month before Augusta National. And they said, you know, you, yeah, you said you walked away in 18, but you just won a tournament on the Champions Tour and you're playing great. You should play again. I'm like, no, I don't think that's right. You know, I felt like once I said I was done, I was done. Hmm.
1: So is there, you know, with other guys maybe, is there a letter that the club gets? Do you get a tap on the shoulder ever from the club? Have you heard stories of other guys getting the, you know, you know, of course you're welcome to play, but you know what, we've kind of, this has kind of run its course. Do you know anything about any of that?
0: No, I've heard rumors of that. I Unfortunately, I, I never got one of those letters, <laughs> but it was... It was interesting over the last three or four years, uh, of playing there, you know, missing the cut, maybe the last three times prior, uh, after 15. And, and, you know, a lot of times the media would say, you know, Mark, what do you think? You know, so they are always there, you know, there was always four or five media outlets there asking me if this was it for me. And, and even in 18, when I had made the decision in my own mind and I had told my wife that I wasn't going to play after the, whatever, I made the cut or I didn't make the cut, um, I never said anything on Tuesday night at the dinner um, because I just look, I was a guy that got lucky in in 98 on the 18th green to make a putt to win the masters. And it's different when, you know, certain players who have had multiple wins there or just extremely great players, you know, they kind of want to announce that they're not playing anymore. I I didn't really feel that was necessary for me to do that. And it was better just to play. and, And I didn't play that. Actually I was one under through six holes on Thursday the year that I was going to walk away. And then I made a double or a triple on seven. And, you know, I think I shot 77 or six or eight, whatever I shot. Uh, so I knew that, that that Friday was going to be my last round. So, yeah, I'd say I was a little bit emotional um, on the last three or four holes. And I was a little emotional uh, when I told the, the media when I finished on Friday afternoon, standing in front of them, that, yeah, um, that was it for me.
1: I will not allow you to downplay winning the Masters on this podcast, just for the record. You were not some guy that got lucky birdie in the 72nd hole to win the Masters. We're going to get to that. But what is, what is, do you have access as a Masters champion to play Augusta whenever you want? How does that work? How often do you do that, if so? And can you bring guests? Do you get charged for it? These are all questions I, I'm dying to, to learn.
0: Those are all great questions. I think that's what all of us, I, my, my understanding is, is that I'm a member at Augusta National. Now, I'm not, I'm kind of an honorary member from the standpoint, all Masters champions um, have a green jacket, it stays there on property. Uh, you know, I can use the club and go to the golf course as long as I call ahead and I don't abuse the privilege from the standpoint that of trying to bring guests or, or other people, friends of mine to come and play with me. If I do that, I have to play with a real member. So, and I have a lot of real members who are friends of mine. Uh, I rarely go to the club. I've never gone to Augusta National on my own just to go play because I probably could go do that, but I've I've never done that. Uh, I've gone obviously up with Tiger back in the heydays and we'd play, in, in, you know, prior or in the fall, maybe after some of the changes and things like that. I've played with a number of members where I have brought in a friend or a couple of my friends to give them the experience of seeing and playing Augusta National for the first time, and you know as for charging, you know the the charges like I, I you know I I get charged a caddy fee or I get charged a minimal maybe greens fees but, and food, but it's never too high. I mean, it's never nothing crazy like what you would think it could be. Hmm.
1: That's all very, very interesting. I don't know why that is, but I think golf fans in general are very uh, interested in that process. So, all right, we're going to get into some of the tough questions here, which I don't know if you've ever been asked this one, but it's definitely. I'm sure you've been asked plenty about the Champions Dinner, but have you ever been asked to power rank some of the best Champions Dinners of all time, some of the best meals you've had there?
0: I've never been asked that question.
1: <laughs> how would you I can, I, How would you do it?
0: Uh, you know, in respect to the champions and going to the champions dinner, which I've gone to every one since I've won, my take is I always eat whatever the, the defending champ is, is serving. There's opportunities. Like if, let's say a defending champion's got, I don't know, whatever they have on the menu, there's options off the menu that the players, if they, like they don't prefer to want to eat that for dinner maybe they're they're serving i don't know something whatever it could be uh maybe they're serving a fish and and these whoever's up there doesn't really care for fish they can order a steak so it's not like every most of the time i'd say what i've witnessed is 90 percent of the guys uh at that dinner on tuesday night usually eat whatever the the defending masters champion serving but there are times where you know, I've seen guys have something different off the menu, so it can happen. And you know, all the meals. I thought my meal was was really good. Like in when I served it, and after I'd won in ninety eight, I I had the dinner selection menu for ninety nine, and I hosted that dinner. And at that time, I had like a big sushi bowl appetizer out front uh, during the cocktail party, which is literally thirty minutes prior to sitting down and having dinner. And it was just so cool to watch you know, Arnold Palmer and back in the day, you know, Sam Steed was still alive and they're just chowing down on the, the sashimi up there. I mean, it was it was so much fun to watch. And then, you know, we sat down for the dinner and Byron Nelson was the head of the table. And I sat up there with uh, him himself and then Hootie Johnson, I'm sorry, Jack Stevens was still chairman then. And so to sit up there uh, at the head of the table and look at, at these legends that are out there, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, what am I doing here, number one. And number two, you know, I mean, Gene Saracen was still alive. Every every living Masters champion that was alive in 1999 came to the dinner in that year that I hosted, which was a tremendous honor for me because that doesn't happen a lot. I mean, Jackie Burke, I, he he hardly – I mean, he's been to two dinners in all the times I've ever been a member. And now, obviously, Jackie's quite a bit older, but – he came in '99, and he came one other time over those last 23 years. So, to have a, all the past champions there was just an amazing thing for me.
1: Hmm. How how much say do you actually have when it comes to setting the menu? Like, is it a collaboration, or do you just say, you know, here, make this? Or do they come back and say, like, listen, sir, these two things don't go together, but what we can do is this. Take us to what that's like, because I I read these menus, especially, you know coming from somebody like Dustin Johnson. I just can't picture him using some of these words. So I'm just wondering kind of what the collaboration is like between the club and, and the uh, the the winner in terms of setting
0: what's actually on the menu. Well, I think it's definitely certainly over the last, well, you know, luckily for me, over the last 23 years, it's become more defined. Uh, when I, they call me and ask me, and I said, well, I'd like to do this, this, and this. And they're like, yep, perfect, we can do that. <laughs> so, but there's been times where like, uh, certainly when Sergio won, it was a little more detailed. And then I think, I don't know who the other player was. It might have been, uh, they kind of brought their chef in to help with the chef at the club. It could have been Sergio. I, I'm not sure who, but I just know that most of the time the club, they just want it to be a really fun, casual uh, evening and dinner for the guys. And every time, I mean, it just seems like it, it goes so smoothly. I mean, they're so... As you know, I mean, Augusta National, they, they cross every T and every dot and they don't miss a beat. And so when it comes to, you know, sitting down and, and the plates are absolutely perfect and the serving and the whole thing goes by like so like orchestra, like going to a, a great concert. I mean, that's kind of what it's like at that Champions Dinner because I don't know. It just they've done so many and they, they don't want to mess up and they're very precise.
1: Yeah, there was, you know, I've only ever heard, you know, some people either poke fun at, you know, when Sandy Lyle served Haggis, which was before your time going to the Champions Dinner. But yeah, thank is- God
0: for that. Thank God for
1: that, Chris. <laughs> Haggis is they good. Wouldn't have-
0: they, you got to have a lot of hot sauce, though. Okay. You got to have lots of hot sauce.
1: Yeah, but it was it was kind of like on my list to ask you was you know who whose meal has been a letdown. But I don't think Augusta is going to let you eat something that wasn't you know meticulously prepared and, and absolutely delicious. But um, how does the wine work? You know, does everybody drink the drink wine? Do you you know do you, people order wine off the menu? Are the the people that aren't playing maybe having a little more wine than the what the champions that are playing? I was always curious about that.
0: Yeah, no, the boys, you know, the guys, like, I don't really drink, so I, I don't, I have a Diet Coke. You know, I'm not a big drinker. I, I, I Even a respect to the guys up there, I just, you know, they, they, they. each guy can pick a couple of different wines, and Lord knows I, I've seen their wine cellar below the clubhouse. It's, like, one of the best in the world, I would think, and I'm no expert on wine, like I said earlier, but, and some guys will have a cocktail. I mean, they'll have a cocktail during the cocktail hour, and they may still continue that on, sitting at, down at the, the dinner table. It, it's kind of whatever that, that defending champ kind of chooses. And usually they choose pretty nice stuff, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a connoisseur on red wines or different types of wines, but there's usually a selection of a couple different types of wines. And if a guy's drinking a, I don't know, scotch and soda or a, or a, or a vodka and soda, that's they continue down that path. But I've never seen anybody lit up in there. <laughs> so <laughs> darn it yeah, that yeah, I was I just, gonna, you, you asked a question i wasn't even going to ask <laughs> no no i've never seen anybody get out of hand by any means i just think there's just so much respect by the players and that dinner because it's so special to be part of that club and part of the history of the masters and which is uh the dinner which is a, is a huge thing and so that's why it's fun to see like even myself after I stopped competing. Like I went back last November, obviously I'm going this year to go just basically to go to the dinner.
1: Yeah. And is that still like, what kind of butterflies do you get going back to Augusta, not playing, you know, just going back for the dinner and just to be there for honorary purposes.
0: Not as much. I mean, I I have great uh, appreciation. That's, that's the word I would use. And it's been fun because usually when I competed for all those years and playing in the tournament, even before I won, yeah, you know you know how important a major championship is, what it would mean in your life to have one of those on your resume. Also, from the standpoint that you realize that it's Augusta National, you know, and it's usually, well, obviously last year was in the fall because of the pandemic, but it's always the first major of the year. It's at one of the prettiest places you can kind of go and play. And, and you know, the patrons that are fortunate to get a ticket to be able to come to the Masters, they're one of the big, big things that you get to enjoy because you see how much enjoyment and how much respect they have for the Masters tournament and also for the grounds to walk around those hollowed grounds at Augusta National I mean it's just it's it's it it all those things combined make it very very special
1: 23 years after winning it and many years you know playing in it before then like answer truly and honestly do you ever get tired of talking about the Masters or or your win at the Masters
0: Absolutely never. <laughs> I,
1: I wouldn't think so, but at, at some point I, I just am always curious. It's like, you know, it's probably a lot of the same questions and whatnot, but uh, I'm trying to get some in there that maybe you haven't been asked before. But one of those is all right, you wake up Sunday morning of the Masters in ninety eight. Do you pick your outfit in the morning knowing that it might be the one that's in pictures forever?
0: I have I don't because I never I knew I was in the final group on that Sunday in nineteen ninety eight with Fred Couples, but I don't have my uh, yeah. I don't have my clothes laid out a certain way. that I'm going to wear this Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Or I'm going to wear this because if I play well, you know, I might get pictures taken of me, or, or I'll get the green jacket. Yeah, I never get that far ahead of myself at any point or any given time.
1: You, so your win came in your 15th Masters appearance, which was a record for a first-time win until, until Sergio broke that. Any reason why, why you would say that or why that you don't see you know, people compete for that long and then finally break through?
0: I think there's a couple things. Number one, like I was a big believer, even in 98, like, uh, I, I think, there, you, first of all, to, to, to win there, you have to have a little bit of luck. Unless you're Tiger Woods and you dominate the field or you blow people away by how low you go – other than that, I mean, it's always a fine line, you know, and it certainly comes down to the back nine at Augusta National on Sunday afternoon. And for me, uh, it seemed like I could never get all the stars aligned. In other words, what I mean is I, I either go there and I'd hit the ball pretty well and I wouldn't putt well or I'd putt pretty well and I couldn't hit it as well. So, you know, when you're not as long as some of the other guys, you have to have all those things lined up perfectly uh, to win at Augusta. And what was really strange about 98 was – Going into the event, I wasn't hitting the ball well. I wasn't putting well. My confidence was extremely low, and I guess that 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 in turn lowered all my expectations. And I'm forty one years old. Nobody thinks that you know Mark O'Mara is going to win the Masters. Nobody has me on their radar screen, which rightfully so. I I understand. I felt the same way. And yet, on Thursday, I don't know if I've told you the story, Chris, or not. But on Thursday, I had about an eight foot. I'll never forget this as long as I live. On the tenth green for a par and i was struggling with my putting and i had a little bit of hit in my stroke and i i had this 10 footer it was a left to right about a a cup left to right break and i i kind of yipped it i missed it on the low side but i could feel a little bit of hit in my right hand and i shot 74 and i remember coming off the green on 18 and my wife time alicia and my two kids were young michelle was 11 sean was nine and hank haney was there and hank was obviously teaching me at the time and and I said, you know, it's either I come to Augusta National. I was obviously a little perturbed. It was windy day, 74. And I said, you know, I either come here and I hit the ball good and I don't putt any good, or I putt good and I don't hit it any good. It just never call, comes together. And I said, Hank says, well, I know you didn't putt very well. What's going on? I said, well, I yipped one out there on the 10th green. It's only Thursday, and I'm yipping putts on, at Augusta on Thursday. How the hell are you going to win a tournament when you do that? And so he says, let's go to the putting green. So you go to the putting green, and he says, look, it looks to me like your head. And your eyes are aiming too far right and your putters aiming too far left. And I'm like, okay, so what is this is like at seven o'clock at night. I'm like, on Thursday night, I said, What do you want me to do, Hank? And he goes, Well, I think you should, you know, try to tilt your head a little more to the left so your eye angle is more left and open the putter face up. And I looked right then and I looked on him, I said, Do you realize, Hank, that the, the greens are running 13 and a half out there on the stump meter? I said, Are you crazy? How the hell am I gonna do that? And he goes, Well, I mean what do you got to lose? I'm like, yeah, you're right, but and so, you know, of course I get out there Friday just trying to make the cut and I got my eye line trying to get it more to the left which felt awkward opening the putter up. And I didn't really feel like I putted very well. I didn't feel very confident. I shot 70 and I made the cut and then boom, here comes the weekend. And you know, you just never know in this crazy game and I and I've told people this over and over and over again. I honestly didn't have a tremendous amount of confidence on the Greens that week. And yet I came down to a putt on the 18th hole, or it came down to looking at the stats, and I had the fewest amount of putts that week at Augusta National.
1: (laughs) What a dub game. That's just insane. Crazy. Right? I mean, crazy. You know, because I'm watching, like, the, 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 I watched the whole, you know, replay getting ready for this and, when you got on the green, it was just like, "Oh, well, this one's going in. Well, this one's going in." And to know that internally you didn't have confidence, I just that that that
0: blows uh, your mind, crazy. doesn't it? I mean, it was crazy. There was two putts that I felt pretty confident over, where I hit a really good putt on 16, the par three on Sunday, um, and it didn't go in. And then I, you know, I said those famous words coming off the 16th green to my caddy Jerry Higginbotham at the time. I said, "Jerry, you know, that's as good a putt, or good a six iron as I could hit. That's as good a putt as I could hit." Under these circumstances, I said, "You know what? Give me a new ball. I'm going to birdie the last two holes." Now, only he heard that, and I didn't even know why I said that because i have never come across that confident. To be fair, Chris, and uh, the putt on 17, I felt good over. I, that was I'd say of all the putts I hit, the putt behind the hole on the 71st hole was a 12 footer, 10 footer, whatever it was, and I and I I, I felt good over it. I, I knew I was going to make it. I felt like I was going to make it, and I made it. But I wouldn't say I had that same feeling on the 18th green. Hmm.
1: Cause that was, we'll, we'll get to 18 there. And I, I was going to, I was going to mention that putt on 16. I watched that. You watch that highlight. Everybody missed that putt low all day, all day. And I still feel like when you watch it today, everybody misses that putt from the bottom of that bowl on 16 low. And same goes for 18, which I want to, I want to get there eventually, but one of, the, one of the forgotten things, maybe it's not forgotten, I guess, you know. but I get reminded every time I go back and watch that one, is the, the not-so-subtle run that 58-year-old Jack Nicholas made in 98. Birdied four of his first seven to get within two of the lead. Where was he on the golf course when you teed off that day, and did the roars affect you in any way?
0: Well, you always hear a lot of roars, but those roars, a Nicholas roar is different. A Nicholas roar is like, of today's modern era now, is a Tiger Woods roar. I mean that's what 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 it was when jack and i knew something was special going on i saw the leaderboard when i was on the practice tee warming up and i think jack at the time would have been on the fourth or fifth hole so you know i knew he was going and and going low and making birdies but there was just so many other people in the fray that you know you couldn't take your mind away or get distracted about what was happening you know two hours ahead of of when you're getting ready to tee off or an hour and a half ahead of where you're going to go tee off so my main focus was on me trying, basically, not to throw up on myself on the first tee, uh, and and trying to go out there and play the best round I can. Uh, and you know, you just golf, as you know, is such a humbling, funny game. You just can't get ahead of yourself. You know, even though your mind wants to think about you know what could happen or what how you're going to play this hole or that hole, you know, you just have to basically stay centered on what you're trying to do at that any given moment.
1: How different was the course in 98 compared to 97? I know some some major changes were coming in the years that followed, but there, if I remember right, there was a reaction to what Tiger did in 97. Do you remember showing up and seeing you know a different golf course of any kind?
0: Not really. I, I don't think the major changes happened until like 2000. So after Tiger dominated and won the Masters in 97 in the fashion he did, I still thought in 98 the course played pretty much the same. The only difference was it was – it was a little windier in 98, you know, it was pretty windy on Thursday and Saturday. And, and so the course, like the scoring wasn't that low, right? I mean, after 54 holes, I believe I was four under par and I think Fred was five or six under par and he was leading and we were in the final group. So those were scores were pretty high that year. And I think a lot of that was because of the wind.
1: Do you, I don't get to talk to many guys who've had a chance to hit the shot on number 12 in contention on Sunday at the masters. Uh, how easy is it to get sucked into going for that pin? And how hard is that shot for a right-hander? And, you know, on that Sunday, your shot finishes perfectly in line with the pin, a little, little close to the edge, if I may say so. Is that kind of, is that in the right, like the right edge of the variance from where you were aiming it? I just want to, I want to hear kind of somebody in that in that scenario talk through everything that goes through your mind before you hit that shot.
0: Well, I mean, I got lucky, let's face it. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't I, want to say mean, it. I, well, no, I did. I, I, I was aiming, over the right center of the bunker and it was an eight iron shot and it was a pretty solid one for me to be able to go like right at it and when i i got over it and you're always aiming over there but for some reason you know i don't know if it's just the way the angle of the green is because it's kind of diagonally across uh and and it just you see the flag over there and you think it shouldn't be that hard of a shot to be fair but you have to be so precise and when I hit my eight iron, you know, certainly it was going straight and it was going right at the pan, but I knew that I, I didn't absolutely flush it. So I knew that I was like, uh Oh, this gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. And so when I got up there, obviously it didn't go back into Ray's Creek, but it it flew on the fringe up there and basically hop forward just a little bit, but let's say, I don't know, six inches, 10 inches short of where it landed. It's in Ray's Creek and it's over. So, Uh, you know, you're right when we've seen so much drama over the years, uh, on the 12th hole, I mean, it it can, and it just goes to show you that you don't have to have a 530 hard par four to make a lot of drama. The 12th hole has always produced a lot of drama. It's the shortest hole in the course.
1: Yeah, and it's you know, if, especially for right-handers, it's such a challenging shot because your long your your left miss is going to probably go further, and your right miss is going to go shorter. Um, and you know, you watch Phil stand over that shot, and Bubba, and Mike we are all the lefties that have won, and it's such a better fit for a left-hander. And uh, it just it just always is is it's amazing to me to watch the veterans how far left they'll aim, you know, and how you know how what they'll consider a great shot and. I was rewatching and expecting your ball to go in the middle of the green. I didn't remember, you know, it, it going directly in line with the pin. And do you ever, do you ever often think you know, you said six to ten inches away from going back in the water? Do you ever think about how different your life would be if that ball didn't cover six to ten inches?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think if it doesn't cover six to ten inches, I don't win the Masters. And then there was another moment in that round on fifteen where I hit a three iron into the green, and it hit on the you know the front fringe. I mean, a, a foot short. Of that three iron coming into the par five on the 15 going for the green of two it's back in the lake so I mean there's that's why it, whenever you win by one or two or you're close or this or that in a playoff you look back at, at the memories of some of those shots that you hit and realize that whoa wait a minute if that would have just landed you know a foot 10 inches eight inches in a different position there would have been a totally different outcome. Hmm.
1: What did you, do you remember what you said to Freddie as he eagles uh, 15 and you're walking to 16T? You almost went up to him and said something. Do you remember what you said?
0: I can't. I, you know, I, I don't. I, I remember. I think, I, what I think what I said was that – I don't know if you watched the telecast, but back then, what you did, but I'm saying back then they didn't have all those trees uh, between the, the, the 17th hole and the 15th hole. They had the big mounds over there, and Fred blocked it way right Off the tee on 15, and he was over there in the 17th fairway. And I think he hit some kind of a six iron over the top of the trees that are down there by the green, but the big forest that's been planted between where the mounds were now. Like if you drive it right, you're over in the basically the little forest now. That wasn't there back in 98. So I think what I said was like I drove it down the middle of the fairway, I hit this three iron, he had a high six iron to about eight feet, made the eagle. I told him, I said, you know. I said, that was a nice way to play that hole. I think that's what I said to, to Fred. And and he, he kind of just giggled a little bit because we'd played so much together. And obviously, he'd already won the Masters. So, you know, most of the people are, you, you know, The good thing about Augusta National is the patrons are so knowledgeable. Like, you kind of know they have a lot of respect for their, their past champions there on grounds. So, you know, most people would be pulling for Fred Couples. And I get that. But I never felt that, like people are pulling for one person more than another out there, which is a nice feeling. Hmm.
1: Well, this is, this is. I'm sure there's a million things on this list, but I'm always curious to just pick people's brains on something you've learned about Augusta along the way. It's, uh, it can be as detailed as you want or as broad as you want. Like, you, know, you can use this slope on seven. You really want to miss in this spot on eight, never hit it here on nine. You can, cheat this corner here and you can again be as general or specific as you want but just something you know if you were bringing somebody out there for the for the first time or trying to give somebody that's even played the masters a few times like a little piece of advice you've picked up along the way What what's some what's what comes to mind
0: well i too, you what comes to mind is, is I've always felt like at Augusta National like keeping the ball a little bit below the hole is always a key thing right and sometimes as you just pointed out you can't shoot right at the pin you gotta you gotta play to a certain portion of the green because sometimes if you short side yourself there you know you can be disaster and I and I also believe that I, I'll never forget. last year last November I was walking on the range and obviously the the Masters is always played in April and because of the pandemic they played it in November and I was on the range on Tuesday just kind of walking there was no fans no no patrons no spectators there and I saw John Rahm and John I said hi to John and John said hey Mark how are you and he goes hey can I stop you for a second I'm like sure what's up and he goes you won here before you got experience around here what does it take to win here and i said you know john you want to really know and he goes yeah yeah i really want to know and i said Put, well <laughs> he kind of looked at me he goes oh that's okay okay thanks. i get yeah, it and i'm thank like you. well yeah thanks a lot and I, and I said well in reality you know that's what you have to do around there because i i think that that a lot of times chris to be fair and you've been around. I mean, there's so much undulation on that golf course. Not only just on the fairways, your different lies, uphill, downhill, sidehill. Uh, but I, I believe that distance control. You know, being able to control your distance with your irons. You know, learning to, to to put it in the right quadrant on the green or in the right area of the green. So you know, you're playing number. I don't know. Let's say. I mean, every hole has got its own little knickknack to it. But let's say you're playing number three, and you know when that pin's over on the left. I mean, you just can't really, unless the greens or you're far enough down there, you just can't shoot at the pin. You know, you have to shoot at the middle of the green because it's the widest part of the green. And if you short side yourself on three with that second shot, it comes all the way down the hill. Now you can't get it up and down. If you hit it long, it's difficult to get it up and down because the rye grass around the greens is pretty sticky. And yet the greens are very firm and they're bent grass and they're fast. So it's a a tough pitch shot. Uh, from either below the green or behind the green. So there's just certain areas that I think you gain from experience when you play around there. Another green like that would be 14. You know, when the pin's over on the right, yeah, you know, if you're hitting a shorter iron, you can be more aggressive. But if you're back a little bit further, you can use the slopes on the greens to your benefit. You can hit it 25 feet left of the flag, and a lot of times the ball will feed right down next to the hole. So those I think the to, the more you play Augusta National and the more you have experience around the greens and, and playing around the grounds at that golf course, I, I certainly think it, it helps benefit a player to play, at least have a chance to win possibly. Hmm. Do you
1: remember anything in your earlier years playing the Masters, any of your welcome to Augusta national moments, such as, you know, you made this mistake and you pretty much vowed to yourself like, "Up, oh, well, I knew I couldn't have done that. I already knew I shouldn't have done that, but I just learned my lesson and I'm never making that mistake. Anything that comes to
2: mind?
0: No, I, I distinctly remember coming there my first time in 1980, because I'd won the amateur in 79 in, in Cleveland at Canterbury. And I got to play in the Masters in 80. And I was a I was probably 22 years old and, and look, I was a nice player, but not like these young amateurs of today's modern era. I mean, where they come in there thinking they're going to make the cut or win, I, you know, I'm coming to Augusta National thinking, you know, I don't hope, I hope I don't hit anybody and knock somebody out in the gallery. You know, I'm more worried about that because, you know, I'd never played in, in front of on that stage on that grand stage in front of that many people. And I stayed in the crow's nest up above the champions locker room And I got out there and I was paired with Fuzzy Zelda the first day and you had to use a club caddy back then. You couldn't bring your own caddy. And the experience was overwhelming for a young guy coming out of Southern California. And, you know, I played terrible. I think I shot 81, 80, 80 something. I think I I shot 80, maybe 80, 81 or 81, 80. I can't remember. And I just remember distinctly when I was driving down Magnolia Lane Friday when I was leaving the club and my dad was in the car with me. It was just my dad and myself. And My dad kind of looked over at me and he goes, you know, are you okay, Mark? I'm like, yeah, dad, I'm fine. Why? And he goes, well, I know you're disappointed. You know, you didn't play that well, this and that. And I remember looking over at my father and I said, you know, dad, there's a couple things that that are at play here. Number one, I said, you know, I'm an amateur, you know, I'm not that good. And obviously that was exposed in the way I played here. I said, but number two, I said, dad, no matter whatever happens in my life, I said, I know one thing for sure. I got to play in the masters one time. And then 18 years later, at 41 years of age, I stood on that 18th green on a Sunday afternoon and made an 18-footer to win the Masters. It's awesome. Pretty cool.
1: It's awesome. Pretty cool. Well, before we get to the green, you have 148 into 18. And I read somewhere that your your caddy had suggested six, but you ended up hitting seven. First of all, I couldn't believe those numbers and wondering if it was dead into the wind. I know that was a different golf ball that was played with there, or uh, you know, was that into the wind, or was that just how far the ball went in '98? And and you know, how did you uh, how did you decide on hitting seven? Where you did you know you were gassed up?
0: No, I think I had you know I can't remember exactly, but I think I had one fifty eight. Okay, kill. so that's why it was probably between a seven and a six. And that so makes more sense. Yeah, on it was the broadcast they
1: said 147, and I read an article that said 148. But that makes a no, lot more sense. No, it, it was
0: 156 or 158, and a little uphill, so I was going to play a little bit longer. And I said to, to Jerry, Jerry's like, maybe a you know a soft six, and I'm like, no, you know I'd rather swing at it. You know, not like I got to kill it, but just hit a you know a nice full seven. And here you go once again, Chris. I mean, I hit seven, and I hit it on the line, just right of the flag, kind of where you need to try to aim, and I hit it about a groove low which means I hit it just a little bit thin. I didn't absolutely flush it. So I knew when I hit it, I had the right line, but I it needed to get up. And as I was, you know, kind of helping it, trying to get up, get up, get up. It landed about eight inches short of that first false ridge in front of the green. And it kicked forward because the greens were a little bit firmer. But hey, you know what? If the greens were a little bit softer or it would have landed in a softer spot, I mean, it would have come back off the front of the green. So I was very fortunate, really, on that second shot, that the ball kind of kicked forward, if you know what I mean, yeah. and got up there pin high, or just maybe a yard past pin high on the right. It's it's
1: the margins, especially you know, on the putts that are are hitting edges and going in, or hitting edges and going out, are it's it's amazing. And you you can't know this because you obviously are you're you're in the last group, but if you're watching the broadcast you see Jim Furyk misses the putt on 18 low Jack is you know just short kind of low Duvall misses it low did you know anything about that putt again it's another one that I feel like I watch uh, see guys miss from that right you know the right side of that green miss low on the left side pretty often but yours went in on the low side if I may say but did you did you hit the putt you meant to did, did you know that it was going to break a little more with your experience
0: yeah, I didn't know obviously what the guys were doing before me. I, I kind of looked at the board, so I kind of knew where everybody stood. My my first thought was when I was walking onto the green. You know, I needed a, some water because my mouth was so dry. Obviously, so nervous and taking kind of deep breaths or whatever. But my first thought was a couple different things. You know, Fred was in the right bunker. He lied too. So I said to myself, you know, you're always playing little mind games with yourself out there. I said, Fred's going to hold his bunker shot to get to nine under. I'm going to have to make this putt to tie Fred Couples. So that was my first thought when I walked onto the green. And Fred didn't hold his bunker shot. He hit it to about five feet below the hole. Hit a good bunker shot. Uh, but, I, but I felt, I, I, look, I didn't feel overconfident over the putt. I, but I, my, I think the best thing that I did, as I recall in my own mind, was when I marked my ball, I, we always practice that putt in practice rounds because we know that's where the pin's going to be on Sunday. So you always kind of take practice. During your practice rounds, you putt to different positions on the green. So I kind of had a, a pretty good idea of the break that it was going to have on it. But I, 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 when I marked my ball and I put my ball down, I remember precisely my mind thought as I walked around the side, behind the hole, and the other side as I did my little circle around my putt, lining it up. I said to myself, you know, Mark, look, this is what you play for. Sooner or later, you're going to have to make a putt, whether it's here or whether it's on 10 or whether it's on 11 or 12, wherever that may be. It may be a three footer, it may be a 20 footer, maybe this, putt, you know, but sooner or later, you're going to have to make a putt. So why not put the best stroke on this one here and try to end it? That's That was my self talk on the 18th green on the 72nd hole at Augusta National in 1998. Because there's no way that I thought to myself, you know, if I make this putt, I win the green jacket, or I'm going to win the Masters, or I'm going to do this or that, or you know, I just don't think you can think that way in those in those situations because you know you're going to cause yourself problems, and just the way I, I look at it. And so, as I got over my ball, I made my two practice strokes, put the putter behind my ball. I didn't know what was going to happen, Chris, but I I knew like when I hit my putt. And it was two feet off the putter. I said to myself, "Well, thank God I hit a decent putt." You know, like I felt like I started online. I felt like I thought I had the right speed. I had no idea what the heck was just getting ready to possibly happen. And I, everybody stands up on the other side of the green. They're watching. Obviously, Jim Nance is up there with Ken Venturi in the tower on eighteen. Um, around the world, people are watching. You know, you're not thinking that while you're the athlete doing it. And I and I'm watching it as it's rolling down there. And it got about i don't know two or three feet from the hole and i'm thinking oh my god you know it's gonna it's gonna go in and then it starts moving off to the left as you pointed out because there is a little bit of right to left break as it's going down there and my last thought as it was about three inches from the hole you know was please don't lip out and when it caught the left center of the hole and dove in the hole and my arms and hands went up in the air with my ping answer to putter and if you saw my look on my face I was more in shock and disbelief as to what the hell just happened. That was the exact word I I thought, shock. What the hell just (laughs) happened here? And I realized I'd won the Masters because all of us, whether we play and compete or we're fans, and I'm a fan besides a player, and I've always wondered because I watch the Masters and I love watching the Masters, and obviously I played in all these Masters, and I think to myself, this is before I won, and even today how the heck does anybody make a putt on the 18th green to win the masters? <laughs> and there I was.
3: Well,
1: I think you, you speak into your process there in terms of what, what was going through your mind and, and how you were approaching it is, you know, if you, if you sit there and tell yourself like, this is to win the masters more so than like, you know, all the things you just said that, that were actually going through your mind, that that gives you the best chance at actually doing it. It's probably the hardest thing to channel and actually do, but uh, it, it's a it's an amazing sequence, really, and it's it's you know you win, you're jubilant, but Freddie hasn't finished out yet, and you know your caddy throws his hat, and you you go and sh- you you go and shake Freddie's hand, Uh, you know he comes up to you and shakes his, your hand really quickly, and then you are just very stoic as you're waiting for for Freddie to finish out. You're, it's almost like you are, of course, out of courtesy to your playing partner, and you know you 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 calm the crowd down too, but. It almost looked like it hadn't even set in for you yet or you know that you didn't even crack a smile when the camera zoomed in on your face.
0: No, I think you're right, and I was kind of embarrassed because obviously Jerry got excited and he took his ball cap off and he threw it up in the air, right? And so I'm going to get my ball out of the hole because now I've just won the Masters, and his hat comes down right in the line of Fred Couples' putt. So as I grab my ball out of the hole and, and I'm picking his – ball cap his master's cap up off of Fred's line I, and I see Fred and obviously we're friends and I look at him and I'm like but' I'm, I'm sorry I said I you know and he looked at me and he's like ah don't worry about it mark and so then I I moved aside now, you know obviously I was hoping he'd make his putt because that would tie him for you know second with David Duval and uh you know luckily fortunately Fred did make his putt for par and and then the rest was kind of history but it, it's a side note to all this Chris what was interesting was, you know, they whisk you off the green and, and we can get into all that. But it was interesting because the next week when I was at Hilton Head, you know, like today, these kids or whoever wins the Masters, they're in New York, they're on TV shows or here, or they're there. You know, me, I just got in my car and next morning and drove to Hilton Head on Monday. And I, I remember bumping into David Duvall. Uh, on the range on that Monday afternoon after I'd won the masters. And he says, I got to tell you the story. Mo." I'm like, what's that double D? And he goes, I'm sitting there with, with, with Jack Stevens in Butler cabin. And you're over your putt and everybody's watching and everybody knows. And, you know, obviously I'm eight under Fred's eight under your eight under. And as you draw the putter back, right. When you start to draw it back, uh, Jack Stevens, the chairman of the, of Augusta national, at the time looks at me and he looked right over at me. And he says, David, don't worry, no one ever makes this putt. <laughs> and you, and you pour it in, and he just reaches over and he he kind of shakes my hand. He says, S- uh, "I'll see you next year." Sorry about that. <laughs> Crazy little story.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, he could have waited fifteen seconds to say that, right? I mean, come on, right? <laughs> I
0: mean, I felt bad, but and and David, you know, everybody played so well, like you said that day. What Jack Nicholas did at fifty-two years of age around Augusta National was we well we. We saw what he did when he was 46 and he won, you know, just the legend, just the greatest. And, and, and then certainly we had a lot of, you know, Furick was in the picture, obviously Fred, myself, Duvall, there was a lot of guys in 98 that had a, a shot at winning the masters. You know, I just was the fortunate one that, and I also took pride in the fact that, you know, I birdied the last two holes to win the masters. And when I was in the media center afterwards, they, they informed me that there's only been one other player at that time, at that any given time, to have birdied the last two holes to win the Masters, and that was Mr. Palmer. So to 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 even be, you know, in that realm to know that I did something that Mr. Palmer did one time to win the Masters was really really cool. And then, of course, years later, Char Schwartz had to screw all that up and he birdied <laughs> the last four holes. Uh, and I told three Char of the last four. Uh, yeah, I said to Char, I was like, listen. You didn't need to birdie the last hole. You already had the tournament one. You should have just kind of lagged it up there because you know what? You took away Mr. Palmer's record. Forget about me. You took away <laughs> Mr. Palmer's record.
1: <laughs> well, it's, I think if, I, if I'm reading it right, the only time you were ever so low lead at that Masters in 98 was after that putt.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. I was tied for the lead when I – well, I, I kind of had it for a brief moment when I made that big bomb across the green on number four. Remember, I hit it way on the left side. Fred hit it in about 15 feet. As soon as I hooped my putt, next thing you know, now I got the lead. And then Fred made his on top of me to, to still stay tied for the lead. But you're right. I never had the solo outright lead uh, after a hole was complete until the 72nd hole.
1: And I don't know if Tiger was messing messing with you a little bit when uh, he's putting the green jacket on you, but he, you know, he puts the left sleeve in and then he raises the right sleeve about as high as you could, and it, you know, you're struggling to get into it. And he almost looks like he's pulling the jacket. Do you ever give him any, any grief for for how he's putting the jacket oh, on? You?
0: It was so awkward, you know. Of <laughs> it was course, painful. for your for your for, you know for your listeners, right after you you make that putt or right after you win, they whisk you straight over to Butler Cabin, and there's a commercial break, and then. Down in Butler Cabin, as they're getting ready to come back live to do the presentation, um, you have Joe Ford, who is the kind of the tournament chairman, member at Augusta National for years. You have Jim Nance, you have Tiger Woods, who's the defending Masters champion, and at that time Matt Kuchar was the low amateur in 1998. So Matt's in the room. We're all sitting, and they come back live. And before they come back live, they they explain what's going to happen. Jim and, and and Joe Ford are going to talk about Matt and what he accomplished as a low amateur. Then they're going to go over to Tiger and talk to Tiger for a minute. And then obviously the presentation of Tiger uh, presenting me with the green jacket was going to happen kind of last and, and they would talk to me. So they kind of go in that order. Then they come around and they talk to Tiger for a minute and Tiger, then Joe says, okay, Tiger, you know, it's time to present, you know, Mark with his green jacket. So of course I stand up and, you know, Tiger's behind me with the, the green jacket that he's getting ready to, to a dawn on me. And, you know, he, he to be fair, Chris, I mean, He had both arms up so high. So I kind of, I could kind of tilt my body to get my right kind of arm in. But then by the time I was even trying to get my left arm around, he had the jacket up so high, as you pointed out, that I I couldn't get my arms in. You know, I mean, I was like, and then finally it was really awkward. So I had to kind of turn around and tell Tiger, no, you got to lower the jacket, you lower the jacket, you know, so it's easy. And then you just pull it up. Right. And so. It was an awkward moment. It was a kind of a classic moment. It was, it was funny. And so he finally, he did it the right way and he got it on. And then of course they go to commercial break. And then I look at tiger during the right, right after all this happened and went off air, I'm like, what was that all about? And he looks at me, he's like, MO, he goes, how the hell do I know how to put a sport coat on anybody? I've never put a sport coat on anybody. How the hell would I know where to hold it? Well, bro, you gotta you gotta keep it down there low, and then because I'm a little, I'm not as tall as you are, and you know it's easier just to bring it down low, and then you can just slide it right up. And he goes, "Oh well, you know, I'm 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 a kid. I don't know what I'm doing."
1: He's got some Classic. practice on that now. And uh, oh yeah, in oh yeah,
0: he days. does. He um, does.
1: What? So I was reading an old Sports Illustrated article uh, that was after the after the Masters, and the, the the you know the lead in it is basically it says your new Masters champion is a multimillionaire who loves cheap motels endorses Rogaine and suffers so badly from male pattern baldness that one man approached him at dinner in Augusta last week shouting Mark McCumber, Mark McCumber, you're Mark McCumber. There's a lot in that line. First of all, the, you, you're a lover, lover of cheap motels. Is that where you would stay on the road back then or still uh, no. today? You know,
0: I, I, I just, no, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not the kind of guy that felt like, you know, look, I never, I kind of was my own dime all the time. You know, when I travel and I started with absolutely no money when I started on the PJ tour with a Volkswagen rabbit, we didn't play for any money. And, you know, I didn't see any point. I couldn't afford to stay at a Ritz Carlton or a high end motel. I just I just need a clean room with a shower and a TV set. decent decent towel. I'm good to go. You know, I don't need anybody to leave candies by the side of my bed. I just I can go buy them, put them by the side of my bed. Uh, so I tried to watch, you know, my expenses because I'd rather spend it at home or spend it on things like when I'm around the house or all the toys I like to have. So. It kind of made sense then, and, and, and what happened earlier in that week, we had played practice rounds, John Cook and I and Tiger. One night, John and I went to dinner at T-Bones, the steakhouse right there in Washington, and we're sitting in a booth, and of course there's always patrons there and that's that big hoopla week, the Masters week, and this and that. And we're sitting at the table, and I've got my menu kind of in my face, and I can see this guy coming towards me, and he's coming right towards our table. And he stands like right there. And I don't even kind of acknowledge him because I don't know if it's a waiter. I don't really want to look up. And finally, I hear this guy say, Mr. McCumber. And I, of course, I don't acknowledge him. He goes, Mr. McCumber. I don't acknowledge him. And Cookie, I can see Cookie over there just grinning under his menu. Mr. McCumber. And finally, I had to look up the guy. I said, listen. I said, sir, I said, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm, I'm not Mr. McCumber. And he goes, oh, but you're that, you're that Mark guy. You're, you're, you're. And he couldn't kind of come with it, you know. And I'm like, well, I'll help you out. And I'm Mark O'Mara. He goes, oh, I knew that. And I said, well, if you knew that, then why didn't you call me that? And he goes, oh, you know, I just, I'm so excited. I said, oh, no problem. You know, and I just razzed him a little. We had a good time. So when I, and and there was one other thing, like Jaime Diaz had written an article about three months prior to the Masters about my success at Pebble Beach. He had called me. I would called him back. Jaime and I were friends, whatever. And we had a nice chat. And then his article came out and it was kind of, I mean, he didn't trash me, but kind of trashed me. He called me the king of the bees. Like, he can win at Powell. He's won five times there, but, you know, it's pro-am format. He's never won the big tournament, kind of. He's just king of the bees. You know, he's never won a major. He's just kind of – it was kind of a – it was kind of a little bit of a low blow on, on Jaime's part, to be honest with you. And so when I walked into the media center after I'd done the presentation of Butler Cabin, going to talk to the media – The first person I see standing by the side of the door is Peter Malik, my manager, and Jaime Diaz. And Jaime just looks at me, and I give him the big old grin. I'm like, okay, ah, maybe I got up to the A category now. I don't know. Maybe not. And when I stood up there uh, to the media, they said, how do you feel? And like any player, you know, really hasn't sunk in yet or this or that. And then I finally came with, you know, maybe people now will know me as Mark O'Mara and not as Mark McCumber. And I kind of said that. That's how that got squeezed into that article. Gotcha. <laughs> That's and it was crazy. Exciting. You know, Chris, to, to be fair, you know, like all those years. So, you know, usually the guy who wins the Masters, I don't know if you re- you'll recall this or not, usually the guy who wins the Masters, uh, would, not all days, these, but, but most of the time would be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And when Sports Illustrated came out a week later or whatever, it was Pedro Martinez and it was during spring training, you know, the pitcher, obviously, for the Red Sox. Pedro Martinez was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And there was an article about me winning the Masters, but you know, I didn't make the cover. And then later that summer when I win the British Open over at Burkdale, then the Sports Illustrated comes out and I am on the cover. And so, you know, I guess that's always a dream come true to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated, this, that. But I have to sign these Sports Illustrated covers, which is, is an honor and it's fine. But you know what the caption, have you ever seen it? Do you know what it says? I don't, I don't know. So here's what it says. It says, the unlikely champion.
1: At, at Burkdale. Well,
0: it just says the unlikely champion. Mark Romero wins the British Open. So whenever I'm signing these uh, autographs on these Sports Illustrated and somebody's standing there and holding one, I said, you know what? I said, there's two letters there that I'm really not quite sure of. And they're like, what are you talking about, Mark? I said, there's two letters right there that I'm not sure of. And I said, those UN, right in front of lucky. Le- the unlike or unlikely the un uh, didn't I win the masters earlier this year what's so unlikely about it i mean i almost won the i almost won the open in 91 so I don't know, it's just funny. It's just rag on people a little bit on that.
1: That's a yeah, that's a weird weird dig, I guess almost at that point. It's it's not you were you were 20 uh just pulled it up. You were 22 to 1 going into the Open Championship. you were not a long shot going into the Open
0: Championship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they couldn't have come with something different than an yeah. unlikely champion. Nope. I mean, I was in the final group in 91 at Birkdale. Tied for the lead after 54 holes yeah. with Ian Baker Finch and he won. So whatever. <laughs>
1: Whatever you got the claret jug uh, exactly. Do you I'm I, at I, going back? Do you like, one? Do you go back and watch the broadcast at all? And, and I, I couldn't help but just notice watching it. And it, I get it's hard, you know, to tell the story while it's going on because you don't know who's going to win. But it all even playing the 18th hole. It seems like everything was framed around around Freddie. And I know you mentioned that you know the reverence no, they have true. For, for past champions, yeah. and I do understand that, but. Even as you are about to line up a putt to win the Masters, they're still talking about Freddie, and almost even after you make the putt, you know Ken Venturi walking off the green is still talking about you know Fred Couples coming up short, and I just wondered if that rubbed you at, at all in the wrong way because it it kind of just set it was a little uncomfortable for me in the rewatch.
0: No, I I don't think so. I mean, I I understand you know that. that you know, the media and Fred's relationship and the way to, you know, the media obviously can kind of pick their favorites or tend to, you know, and he's hit it long and boom, boom, and the nicknames and I, and I get it. I, and so i never really bothered me and I know that never fazed me, but I would say this, that it would have been interesting up there in the tower because I would say that Ken Venturi would have been pulling for me. And certainly Jim Nance would have been pulling for Fred. And so you can hear in, in Venturi's voice, you know, that Mark Comer has just won the Masters, that, that Nance was a little bit shocked, I think, because, uh, but but in fairness, I mean, Fred had already won a Masters. My, my take is, you know, that that, I mean, he's a fan favorite and I get that and I'm totally fine with that. So none of that never really bothered me hmm. at all.
1: What, so we got a couple questions from people on our, on our message board. I I mentioned that I was going to be interviewing a former master's champ and just, uh, one of the questions we got was from M Shriver three and he asked person and era dependent. What, what were the tangible ways your marketability shifted immediately following the win? What phone calls from sponsors? What, what, how did your life change on, on that front? Just being able to market yourself as a master's champion.
0: Uh, you know, I think it took it to a new level. I think it put me in a different light because I was on that list of next best players to have never won a major championship. I had won 14 times in the PGA Tour, played Ryder Cups, President's Cups, played around the world, won around the world. And so I think this just was the icing on the cake, you might say, on somebody's career at that stage of my life to to have pulled off a victory, like winning the Masters, making a putt on the 18th green, um, the, 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 you know, the, the commercials, You know, a few commercial shoots, obviously, with the golf ball, with Strata, because it was a new multi-layer technology golf ball, which not many players were playing. Um, And so my endorsements, yeah, they would have gone up, not to the near the level of what happens today in in today's world. Um, Just like I pointed out earlier that, you know, I drove over to Hilton Head the next week. And I think the only really talk show I talked to, I believe, Jim Rome on the phone on his radio show was one of the only – like things that I did I never went to any big high profile event after that win at the Augusta National so it was it was it was definitely way different you know social media wasn't quite as dramatic back then as it is today and and um, you know today uh, it's just it's just different I mean I don't, I don't know what to say.
1: A few questions here about Augusta specifically and how it's changed over the last, you know, 20, 25 years. And then we will, uh, we will eventually let you get out of here, but kind of what this was, this came from the kid 33 on our message board. He wanted to get your take on specific changes to the course and kind of going one by one on them. First being the second cut. I think it was introduced, I, it could be wrong, 99 sometime around then what was your reaction to that. And how has that affected uh, the way the golf course plays?
0: Well, that's a great question, because I was, I I came up after they made those major changes, and one of them was that, you know, it was the second cut. And so Tiger and I came up and played in the fall. And I think by now, Hootie Johnson was the new chairman. Uh, Jack had had relinquished leadership to Hootie Johnson. And Hootie was the one that that really made a lot of these changes. And so we we played Tiger and I, and there was no one around the club that day. And and Hootie said, can I come out, you know, you guys don't mind if I come out and watch. And he did. He came out and watched Tiger and I play. And we played 18 holes. I think we both had a cart, to be fair. So we just kind of flew around just to see the changes. And he goes, do "You, mind? I'm going to come up to the – you guys are going to have a sandwich when you get done. Yes, sir, we're going to have a sandwich. Okay, I'll come up and talk to you. So he came up and we got done. And Mr. Johnson, the chairman, came in and sat down with Tiger and I in the champions locker room up there. And he goes, okay, well, you know, what do you guys think of the changes? And I, and I said to Hootie, I said, you know, Mr. Chairman, I said um, – You know, I'm glad I made that putt on the 18th green because obviously it's a different course now out there now than it was back in 98. And I said, if you're asking me what I think, I said, I think this. I said, you know, I'm not so sure about that secondary cut of rough. And he goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, sir, I said, you know, if you want to put the fear in a player like Tiger Woods, who was sitting right next to me, or Vijay Singh or Phil Mickelson, you know, three of the guys that were really bombing the ball at the time, I said, in my opinion, you need to speed the course up by putting that first cut of rough in it just slows the course down, which benefits – I understand the lengthening the course, but if you if you even lengthen it and you slow it down, you know, where the ball won't roll into the pine needles and into the trees and all the problems that you can have, if you want to play, you know, put the fear of it in Tiger Woods or Vijay or, or Phil, you need to speed the course up. And that first cut of rough, that doesn't do anything. That actually helps them. And then he kind of looked at me and he's like, well, we're not going to do that. And I said, Okay. I can't say another word, and it was funny. Then he looked over at Tiger, and he says, "So Tiger, what do you think of the the changes?" And Tiger says, "Mr. Johnson, I love him. He goes, "Make it longer."
1: That, yeah. So one, I wonder why why he asked your opinion on that if it wasn't gonna you know, it wasn't gonna gonna take any action on it being one. And then yeah, the length the length question is you know. It's it's it coincides obviously with you know equipment go- changing in this time period as well, and the golf course trying to keep up with it. But it, it does it, it. This was a crucial time in golf history, really. Of how are we going to deal with this very you know fast increase in distance? And the answer was to make the course longer. When in reality, did, did, I guess did you understand it at the time? It sounds like you did that. Uh, that players understood the longer you made it, the more you were giving these guys the advantage.
0: Well, they just they helped create the monster. I mean, by lengthening golf courses, listen, oh, today's generation over the last 15 years, manufacturers for sure, you know, they've pushed the limit. Rightfully so, I don't blame them. But the players are just growing up in a different era where speed has become such a factor uh, and length. It's just bombs away. But I I reckon that if you want to fix what's going on, you don't do that by making holes longer. What you do is you make players more accountable because some of the greatest holes in golf are the absolute shortest holes in golf, for i.e., ten at Riviera, uh, the postage stamp at Troon, the twelfth hole at, at at Augusta National, the seventh hole at Pebble Beach. I mean, holes that you know require thought process, uh, accountability. Uh, a five hundred and forty-yard par four doesn't require any accountability whatsoever. It's just get up and just whale on it. You know, I mean, I and I don't see where there's any creativity in that. Um, yeah, sort of powerful player where somebody who has some strength can hit the ball longer, have a little bit more of an advantage. Absolutely. But, you know, to me, when you stand on that 12th tee at Augusta national, whether you're Dustin Johnson or you're Mike Weir or Mark O'Mara, you're pretty much in the same category, which to me, that's more what they need to do. They need to play holes that, that uh, hold people more accountable and make them have to think you want to mess with a pro make them have to think, make it, make make a choice.
1: That's a, another another reason why 98 such an interesting rewatch is not only the names that are involved in it and all the excitement that comes down the stretch. It's just the length of the hole and, and the shots that are required there. Just, you know, 18 being 405 yards was just jarring. You know, it was just like, whoa, yeah, that's precise. right. It was, it was yeah. not a, a uh, you know, 460 through the shoot kind of hole. What do you... The, the the most uh, the the I guess the change that I have the biggest issue with, and a lot of people do too, is the planting of trees, right? Because in this era, you know, that we're talking in the nineties, even up through then, the golf course was wide, 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 and played fast, like you mentioned, and, and you know, balls roll. If you got one offline, it rolled until it found trouble, right? And then planting trees was just bringing more trouble in closer to the lines of play, and. It has just kind—I of, don't know—that's the one that has, I think, messed with the spirit of the golf course more than anything. I was just curious what what your your reaction is to the all the planning of trees over the years.
0: Well, my take on is when I asked Mister Johnson this when all this first came into play when the chairman decided that his his opinion was that he and he said this to me after you know he explained to me why he thought they want to have that secondary cutter rough. He goes, "We want driving to be uh, more." involved playing around Augusta national. And one of my, my take to him was back take was, you know, Mr. Johnson, I, I understand that I said, but this is not the U S open. I said, this is Augusta national. And to me as a kid growing up and then having the fortunate, you know, opportunity to come and play here as the amateur champion, Augusta national was always about the green complexes. It was always about the speed and the undulation and, and the water and the back nine at Augusta and the change of elevation from your tee shots into the greens because tv doesn't do that justice how much the 10th hole goes down the hill how much number 18 comes up the hill and and the side hill lies that you get on 13 a lot of times unless you're out there actually playing on it or out there being a patron and walking the, the hollow grounds of august national you can't get that feel and so i always felt like you know that was it was more about the green complexes and and the greens Ever since they've made the changes, to be honest with you, Chris, by what I saw and even when I played uh, up to 2018, yeah, the course was way, way longer. You know, they lengthened the course by whatever, four five, 600 yards. But the, the greens, um, in my opinion, uh, have been softer, more uh, receiving. Now, they can't control, they have sub air around the whole golf course. But back in the old days, it seemed to me like the greens were always, if, if it wasn't raining and they had a dry spring, The greens were rock hard. I mean, so that was the defense of Augusta National.
1: And you were playing with softer uh, golf balls too, you know, the balls that were landing on those greens a little softer. Do you think 13T should go back? I know they've acquired the land and rerouted the maintenance road behind it. It it looks like they've set it up to go back at some point, but it hasn't happened yet. Do you think it should?
0: Yeah, you know, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, what's really hurt it is that, yeah, it's okay, the players hit it further, you know, guys taking angles and corners, whether it's Bryson DeChambeau or DJ or whoever. But the ice storms and the fact that the trees have gotten older and they've, you know, they've thinned out and they've died. And and that has hurt, you know, some of the holes for sure. I mean, I, I, I think their idea on 13 is to maybe move it back just to maybe 20 yards, but also tuck it in a little more to the left. So make it more of a dog leg. I mean, it's a pretty big dog leg right now, but force the players – to have to curve the ball a little bit more because, as you know, in today's generation, they don't really, besides Bubba Watson, a lot of the guys don't curve the ball that much. Not like it, it used to be back in the day when you watched a Trevino play or a Corey Pavin or whoever, that could work the ball a, a bunch. You know, most of the modern players nowadays, it's pretty much a straight ball.
1: Hmm. Well, we'll get you out of here on this. You got you got to give us a prediction for, uh, for 2021 Masters coming up here in the next week. Uh, who's your winner?
0: Wow, you know, it's—I've never been a big better number one, and it's very, very—I don't know how anybody bets on golfers. It's so, so difficult. But if I was going to say, uh, if I had one guy maybe to pick right now, I'd probably say Justin Thomas. Hmm. All right, but I like some other guys. I like, I like, I like Justin. I think John Rahm could play that well there. It'll be interesting to see what Bryson DeChambeau learned from his experience last year if he takes some different lines. Not quite as you know, aggressive on every single hole, maybe back off on some of the holes. But it's going to come down to, once again, what we started the podcast with is, you know, certainly ball striking is very important, power around there because the par fives are are, are reachable with a, a shorter iron or whatever, uh, which is an advantage, but it's going to come down to who, who can make the putts. Who's going to make the putts coming down the stretch? That's going to be your winner.
1: Well, I can't believe Masters Week is is finally upon us. But have a, have a great time in Augusta. Um, we're recording this the week before, as you're about to head that direction, I'm sure. And uh, and thanks so much for joining and sharing some memories with us. And uh, we'd love to have you back again sometime.
0: Pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes. Honey, yeah, that's
4: better than most. How about him? It is better than
0: most. Better than most! (laughs) Expect any